0: Section 17 of Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Autobiography of Benvenuto Cellini, Part 2. Section 17, Chapters 84 through 88. Chapter 84. THE DUKE WAS NOW AWARE THAT ALL MY PREVIOUS SPEECHES HAD BEEN, AS IT WERE, FORCED OUT OF ME, SO HE REJOINED, IF YOU HAVE CONFIDENCE IN ME, YOU NEED NOT STAND IN FEAR OF ANYTHING WHATEVER. I RECOMMENCED, ALAS, MY LORD, WHAT CAN PREVENT THIS COMING TO THE EARS OF THE Duchess?" THE DUKE LIFTED HIS HAND IN SIGN OF TROTH PLEDGE AND EXCLAIMED, BE ASSURED THAT WHAT YOU SAY WILL BE BURIED IN A DIAMOND CASKET. To this engagement upon honor, I replied by telling the truth according to my judgment, namely, that the pearls were not worth above two thousand crowns. The Duchess, thinking we had stopped talking, for we now were speaking in as low a voice as possible, came forward and began as follows, My Lord, do me the favor to purchase this necklace, because I have set my heart on them and your Benvenuto here has said he never saw a finer row of pearls.' The duke replied, "'I do not choose to buy them.' "'Why, my lord, will not your excellency gratify me by buying them?' "'Because I do not care to throw my money out of the window.' The duchess recommenced, "'What do you mean by throwing your money away, when Benvenuto, in whom you place such well-merited confidence, has told me that they would be cheap at over three thousand crowns. Then the duke said, My lady, my benvenuto here has told me that, if I purchase this necklace, I shall be throwing my money away, inasmuch as the pearls are neither round nor well-matched, and some of them are quite faded. To prove that this is so, look here, look there. Consider this one, and then that. The necklace is not the sort of thing for me. At these words, the Duchess cast a glance of bitter spite at me, and retired with a threatening nod of her head in my direction. I felt tempted to pack off at once and bid farewell to Italy. Yet my Perseus, being all but finished, I did not like to leave without exposing it to public view. But I ask everyone to consider in what a grievous plight I found myself. The duke had given orders to his porters in my presence, that if I appeared at the palace, they should always admit me through his apartments to the place where he might happen to be. The duchess commanded the same men, whenever I showed my face at that palace, to drive me from its gates. Accordingly, no sooner did I present myself than these fellows left their doors and bade me begone. At the same time, They took good care lest the duke should perceive what they were after, for if he caught sight of me before those wretches, he either called me or beckoned me to advance. At this juncture, the duchess sent for Benardoni, the broker, of whom she had so often complained to me, abusing his good-for-nothingness and utter worthlessness. She now confided in him as she had previously done in me. He replied, My princess... Leave the matter in my hands. Then the rascal presented himself before the duke with that necklace in his hands. No sooner did the duke set eyes on him than he bade him be gone. But the rogue lifted his big ugly voice, which sounded like the braying of an ass through his huge nose, and spoke to this effect, Ah, my dear lord, for heaven's sake, buy this necklace for the poor duchess, who is dying to have it, and cannot indeed live without it. The fellow poured forth so much of this stupid, nonsensical stuff that the duke's patience was exhausted, and he cried, Oh, get away with you, or blow your chaps out till I smack them. The knave knew very well what he was after, for if by blowing out his cheeks or singing La Bella Franceschina he could bring the duke to make that purchase, then he gained the good grace of the duchess and to boot his own commission, which rose to some hundreds of crowns consequently he did blow out his chaps the duke smacked them with several hearty boxes and in order to get rid of him struck rather harder than his wont was the sound blows upon his cheeks not only reddened them above their natural purple but also brought tears into his eyes all the same while smarting he began to cry lo my lord a faithful servant of his prince who tries to act rightly, and is willing to put up with any sort of bad treatment, provided only that poor lady have her heart's desire. The duke, tired of the ribald fellow, either to recompense the cuffs which he had dealt him, or for the duchess's sake, whom he was ever most inclined to gratify, cried out, Get away with you, with God's curse on you. Go, make the bargain. I am willing to do what my lady duchess wishes. From this incident we may learn to know how evil fortune exerts her rage against a poor right-minded man and how this trumpet luck can help a miserable rascal. I lost the good graces of the Duchess once and for ever, and thereby went close to having the Duke's protection taken from me. He acquired that thumping fee for his commission and to boot their favour. Thus it will not serve us in this world to be merely men of honesty and talent. Chapter 85. About this time, the War of Siena broke out, and the Duke, wishing to fortify Florence, distributed the gates among his architects and sculptors. I received the Praetor Gate and the little one of Arno, which is on the way to the mills. The Cavaliere Bandinello got the gate of San Friano, Pascalino d'Ancona the gate at San Pier Gattolini, Giuliani di the di Agnolo had the gate of San Giorgio. Particino, the woodcarver, had the gate of Santo Nicolo. Francesco da Sangalo, the sculptor, called Irmagola, got the gate of Santa Croce, and Giovan Battista, surnamed El Tasso, the gate Pinti. Other bastions and gates were assigned to diverse engineers, whose names I do not recollect, nor indeed am I concerned with them. The Duke, who certainly was at all times a man of great ability, went round the city himself upon a tour of inspection, and when he had made his mind up, he sent for Lantanzio Gorini, one of his paymasters. Now, this man was to some extent an amateur of military architecture, so His Excellency commissioned him to make designs for the fortifications of the gates, and sent each of us his own gate drawn according to the plan. After examining the plan for mine, and perceiving that it was very incorrect in many details, I took it and went immediately to the duke. When I tried to point out these defects, the duke interrupted me and exclaimed with fury, Benvenuto, I will give way to you upon the point of statuary, but in this art of fortification I choose that you should see to me, so carry out the design which I have given you to these brave words i answered as gently as i could and said my lord your most illustrious excellency has taught me something even in my own fine art of statuary inasmuch as we have always exchanged ideas upon that subject i beg you then to deign to listen to me upon this matter of your fortifications which is far more important than making statues if i am permitted to discuss it also with your excellency you will be better able to teach me how I have to serve you." This courteous speech of mine induced him to discuss the plans with me, and when I had clearly demonstrated that they were not conceived on a right method, he said, "'Go then, and make a design yourself, and I will see if it satisfies me.' Accordingly, I made two designs according to the right principles for fortifying those two gates, and took them to him and when he distinguished the true from the false system he exclaimed good-humouredly go and do it in your own way for i am content to have it so i set to work then with the greatest diligence chapter eighty six there was on guard at the gate of prato a certain lombard captain he was a truculent and stalwart fellow of incredibly coarse speech whose presumption matched his utter ignorance This man began at once to ask me what I was about there. I politely exhibited my drawings and took infinite pains to make him understand my purpose. The rude brute kept rolling his head and turning first to one side and then to the other, shifting himself upon his legs and twirling his enormous mustachios. Then he drew his cap down over his eyes and roared out, Zounds! Juice, take it! I can make nothing of this rigmarole! At last the animal became so tiresome that I said, Leave it then to me, who do understand it, and turned my shoulders to go about my business. At this he began to threaten me with his head, and, setting his left hand on the pommel of his sword, tilted the point up and exclaimed, Hello, my master! You want perhaps to make me cross blades with you? I faced round in great fury, for the man had stirred my blood and cried out, "'It would be less trouble to run you through the body "'than to build the bastion of this gate. "'In an instant we both set hands to our swords "'without quite drawing, for a number of honest folk, "'citizens of Florence and others of them courtiers, "'came running up. "'The greater part of them rated the captain, "'telling him that he was in the wrong, "'that I was a man to give him back as good as I got, "'and that if this came to the duke's ears, "'it would be the worst for him. "'Accordingly he went off on his own business,' And I began with my bastion. After setting things in order there, I proceeded to the other little gate of Arno, where I found a captain from Sicina, the most polite, well mannered man I ever knew in that procession. He had the air of a gentle young lady, but at need he could prove himself one of the boldest and bloodiest fighters in the world. This agreeable gentleman observed me so attentively that he made me bashful and self conscious and seeing that he wanted to understand what i was doing i courteously explained my plans suffice it to say that we vied with each other in civilities which made me do far better with this bastion than with the other i had nearly finished the two bastions when an inroad of piero strozzi's people struck such terror into the country folk of prato that they began to leave it in a body and all their carts laden with the household goods of each family came crowding into the city the number of them was so enormous cart jostling with cart and the confusion was so great that i told the guards to look out lest the same misadventure should happen at this gate as had occurred at the gate of turin for if we had once caused to lower the portcullis it would not be able to perform its functions but must inevitably stick suspended upon one of the wagons When that big brute of a captain heard these words, he replied with insults, and I retorted in the same tone. We were on the point of coming to a far worse quarrel than before. However, the folk kept us asunder, and when I had finished my bastions, I touched some score of crowns, which I had not expected, and which were uncommonly welcome. So I returned with a blithe heart to finish my Perseus. CHAPTER Eighty-seven During those days some antiquities had been discovered in the country round arezzo among them was the chimera that bronze lion which is to be seen in the rooms adjacent to the great hall of the palace together with the chimera a number of little statuettes likewise in bronze had been brought to light they were covered with earth and rust and each of them lacked either head or hands or feet The duke amused his leisure hours by cleaning up these statuettes himself with certain little chisels used by goldsmiths. It happened on one occasion that I had to speak on business to his excellency, and while we were talking, he reached me a little hammer with which I struck the chisels the duke held, and so the figures were disengaged from their earth and rust. In this way we passed several evenings, and then the duke commissioned me to restore the statuettes." he took so much pleasure in these trifles that he made me work by day also and if i delayed coming he used to send for me i very often submitted to his excellency that if i left my perseus in the daytime several bad consequences would ensue the first of these which caused me the greatest anxiety was that seeing me spend so long a time upon my statue the duke himself might get disgusted which indeed did afterwards happen. The other was that I had several journeymen who, in my absence, were up to two kinds of mischief. First, they spoilt my peace, and then they did as little work as possible. These arguments made His Excellency consent that I should only go to the palace after twenty-four o'clock." I had now conciliated the affection of His Excellency to such an extent that every evening when I came to him he treated me with greater kindness. About this time the new apartments were built toward the lions. The Duke then, wishing to be able to retire into a less public part of the palace, fitted up for himself a little chamber in these new lodgings and ordered me approach to it by a private passage. I had to pass through his wardrobe then across the stage of the great hall, and afterwards through certain little dark galleries and cabinets. The Duchess, however, after a few days, deprived me of this means of access by having all the doors upon the path I had to traverse locked up. The consequence was that every evening when I arrived at the palace, I had to wait a long while, because the Duchess occupied the cabinets for her personal necessities." her habit of body was unhealthy and so i never came without incommoding her this and other causes made her hate the very sight of me however notwithstanding great discomforts and daily annoyances i persevered in going the duke's orders meanwhile were so precise that no sooner did i knock at those doors than they were immediately opened and i was allowed to pass freely where i chose the consequence was that occasionally While walking noiselessly and unexpectedly through the private rooms, I came upon the Duchess at a highly inconvenient moment. Bursting then into such a furious storm of rage that I was frightened, she cried out, "'When will you ever finish mending up those statuettes? "'Upon my word, this perpetual going and coming of yours "'has grown to be too great a nuisance!' I replied as gently as I could. "'My lady and sole mistress,' I have no other desire than to serve you loyally and with the strictest obedience. This work to which the duke has put me will last several months. So tell me, most illustrious excellency, whether you wish me not to come here any more. In that case I will not come, whoever calls me. Nay, should the duke himself send for me, I shall reply that I am ill, and by no means will I intrude again. To this speech she made answer, I do not bid you not to come, nor do I bid you to disobey the duke, but I repeat that your work seems to me as though it would never be finished. Whether the duke heard something of this encounter, or whatever the cause was, he began again as usual. Toward twenty-four o'clock he sent for me, and his messenger always spoke to this effect, Take good care, and do not fail to come, for the duke is waiting for you. In this way I continued, always with the same inconveniences, to put in an appearance on several successive evenings. Upon one occasion, among others, arriving in my customary way, the Duke, who had probably been talking with the Duchess about private matters, turned upon me in a furious anger. I was terrified, and wanted to retire, but he called out, Come in, friend Benvenuto, go to your affairs. I will rejoin you in a few moments while i was passing onward don Garcia, then quite a little fellow plucked me by the cape and played with me as prettily as such a child could do the duke looked up delighted and exclaimed what pleasant and friendly terms my boys are on with you chapter eighty eight while i was working at these bagatelles the prince and don giovanni and don arnando and don Garcia kept always hovering around me, teasing me whenever the duke's eyes were turned. I begged them for mercy's sake to hold their peace. They answered, That we cannot do. I told them, What one cannot is required of no one, so have your will, along with you. At this, both duke and duchess burst out laughing. Another evening, after I had finished the small bronze figures which are wrought into the pedestal of Perseus, that is to say the jupiter mercury minerva and danae with the little perseus seated at his mother's feet i had them carried into the room where i was wont to work and arranged them in a row raised somewhat above the line of vision so that they produced a magnificent effect the duke heard of this and made his entrance sooner than usual it seems that the person who informed his excellency praised them above their merit using terms like far superior to the ancients and so forth. Wherefore the duke came talking pleasantly with the duchess about my doings. I rose at once and went to meet them. With his fine and truly princely manner he received me, lifting his right hand, in which he held as superb a pear-graft as could possibly be seen. "'Take it, my benvenuto,' he exclaimed. "'Plant this pear in your garden.' to these words i replied with a delighted gesture o my lord does your most illustrious excellency really mean that i should plant it in the garden of my house yes he said in the garden of the house which belongs to you have you understood me i thanked his excellency and the duchess in like manner with the best politeness i could use after this They both took seats in front of the statues, and for more than two hours went on talking about nothing but the beauties of the work. The Duchess was wrought up to such an enthusiasm that she cried out, "'I do not like to let those exquisite figures be wasted on the pedestal down there in the piazza, where they will run the risk of being injured. I would much rather have you fix them in one of my apartments, where they will be preserved with the respect due to their singular artistic qualities.' I opposed this plan with many forcible arguments, but when I saw that she was determined I should not place them on the pedestal where they now stand, I waited till next day and went to the palace about twenty-two o'clock. Ascertaining that the Duke and Duchess were out riding, and having already prepared the pedestal, I had the statues carried down and soldered them with lead into their proper niches. Oh, when the Duchess knew of this, how angry she was. Had it not been for the duke who manfully defended me, I should have paid dearly for my daring. Her indignation about the pearls, and now again about this matter of the statues, made us so contrived that the duke abandoned his amusements in our workshop. Consequently, I went there no more, and was met again with the same obstructions as formerly whenever I wanted to gain access to the palace. End of Section 17